welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 327 and my conversation with percussionist, composer, sound designer, dancer, instrument builder, and filmmaker, yes, all of those things, Brie Wiegand. Let's get right to it. I got in touch with Brie to be on this podcast because she was presenting at this past year's PASIC. For that presentation, that was part of the new music research sessions, she publicly showcased her, as she puts it, Franken-Vibes, a full vibraphone that involves a lot of electrical components and batteries that are frequently hoisted on the front part of the instrument and allow her to create a large number of sound effects through playing her instrument. This has allowed her to write and commission works specifically for what she has created. When she presented, she mentioned, and we watched, some of the challenges of making the instrument work, particularly as it relates to battery power and having things not overheat. I look forward to further adventures with this instrument and its improvements in the future. It was also great just to chat with Brie. As mentioned, her interests vary extensively among many art forms, and her filmmaking interests span a great deal of genres, which we get into. We also talk about her long family history with Penn State, her piano and dance backgrounds, and even talk a little bit pro wrestling. It's a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy. So here we go. We recorded this interview over Zoom on October 19th, 2022, and it begins right now. So, Bree, tell us what you're going to be performing at PASIC this year and when it's happening. Uh, my session, Vibraphone Twitching, will be happening on the Friday of PASIC at 9 a.m. During the session, I'm going to be performing as well as presenting the DIY instrument I made called the Franken Vibes as my nickname for it since it's it looks super crazy, but it's a series of speakers that are all connected through a simple circuit with one end of the connection going through the actual vibraphone bars and the other end going through a metal wire that while playing it, it will actually trigger the speakers and then also make the tone of the bars come through the speakers as well. Is this your own contraption? Yes, this is something that I built from a laundry cart that I got at Walmart and a bunch of uh, spare speakers that were available in the School of Music. So all of them were broken or not being used for anything. And I originally I used uh, just string and duct tape to attach them to the cart. They're, they now have zip ties, so it's a little more stable. <laughs> now, when you say you were you borrowed it from Walmart, how it was no, 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 I bought <laughs> no, no, I bought the laundry cart from Walmart and then it was like one of those uh stands where it's like two sides and then a couple baskets that would go in between so I took one of the sides attached the speakers to that and then used two of the baskets to essentially make a backing onto it so that holds in all the wires and then that is also what I used to attach to a snare stand so it can um face towards the audience and stand up while I'm playing what how does this even come about so last year I was in, um, we call it a Roars class. So it's essentially like our music technology seminar that we meet each week. 
So one of the first weeks we were learning about speaker twitching, which that's just that. <laughs> which that's where if you have an old speaker head or you're trying to replace a head, you can tell which way the polarity is. So you would just hook it up to a nine volt battery, see if the head goes up or down when you connect it, which would be the useful avenue of it. But you can also make a bunch of noises with it because it'll make a very loud, scratchy sound. And if you use two needles on the ends, you can actually get it to play a tone like through the bar and it sounds like or through the speaker and it sounds like it's screaming which is really fun so we spent the whole class just messing around with them so I knew once I was playing I was like I need to apply this somehow to percussion because one of the other things was you could extend the actual connection through anything that was conductive so you could put it we had like saws and just random pieces of metal so I decided to go through all of the percussion instruments that we had at the school and through my own and try to find anything that was the right material. So like I had a triangle that worked, I sort of did it with a flexitone, but I had uh, tin foil to like help uh, create the actual connection with it. And then I eventually applied it to the vibraphone, which we had a couple models here, but only the gold musser actually worked well enough. The other ones I had to use a lot more tin foil and it seemed the actual bar wasn't conductive so i'm not sure if it was the coating or a paint or just the material inside it but the gold one worked really well to where as long as i had enough of the wire on one side attached to the vibe so i just used like a piece of wire that i tied around it and tin foil and then as long as that was there you could touch any part of the bar and it would actually complete the circuit the class you're taking to find all the stuff out is part of what sequence or what what's how does it fit into the framework of what you were working on the class i was a part of it's since it's a uh, seminar for all of the music technology students at penn state it's both undergrad and uh grad students at the time last year i was doing a one-year grad program so it was the professional performance certificate and with that you're not an actual student but you're essentially creating your own curriculum with it. So I was doing a lot of music tech, but then I was also doing composition, percussion, and sound design. So it allowed me to focus on like a lot of different things at once, which is also what led to actually building this instrument because I could like apply things from all the stuff I was taking. Had you tried to build anything like this before? No. (laughs) I... Yeah, I never built anything like it. I actually hadn't really dabbled much with electrical engineering before. My dad is an engineer, and I know he would he makes all kinds of crazy contraptions. He has a um, a train set that goes under our Christmas tree every year, but mm-hmm. I think it's up to thirty tracks now of like model trains. Tracks? Yeah, thirty tracks. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like thirty cars and you're like No, 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 no. no. Like separate separate <laughs> trains. It's like multiple levels and <laughs> <laughs> so I, I might get a little bit of the ideas from him. Sure. But he would like build out all of the uh circuits and whatnot like underneath a large board and have that working everything so he could control everything. But I had never done that something myself. I had seen him do it. But this was this project was the first time I actually like built something hands-on. I learned how to solder with it. So especially the more I've been improving it, it's been looking a lot better, sounding better as I learn more. 
Nice. Did did he see your um, your Franken vibes and be like, oh, this could be we could make this part of the Christmas set or something like that? No, <laughs> I think my mom would kill both of us. <laughs> but yeah, he was he was very helpful. I would ask him a lot of questions and along with like professors here. Yeah. But yeah, he especially helped with figuring out because um, I attached batteries to it so I wouldn't be connecting it into a wall. So I wouldn't electrocute myself with it. <laughs> yeah. But he helped figure out um, how to connect the batteries, how to get the most like power out of it. When you have this instrument that you've created, are you like, okay, now I have to do something with it. Like I have to write for it. I have to figure out. Um, and now are you, are you having to come up with some of your own notation to make any sense of what's happening? So someone else could look at it and maybe try to make sense of it. Yeah, I actually, um, when I was first trying to, well, the first thing was to get it to work. So that was the, always the first (laughs) step of making sure, (laughs) but yeah, once it was starting to get like come together and start to work somewhat reliably, um, that was definitely a challenge of figuring out how to write music for it, how to play with it. Cause also each time I built it, I would make the actual connection slightly different Mm-hmm. So it started out, um, it was just 11 speakers. That's how many speakers fit on the laundry cart. But I had like one wire going from each speaker and I would attach it to 11 notes. But since then, I've been using more wire to essentially wrap clusters of notes together. And then I just recently attached a like alligator clip onto each of the actual wires. So I can just clip that on to each attachment. And then you can also change which... Uh, notes are being played by what speaker but another original thing was the best way to make the connection especially the pitch of the bar to come through the speakers was to use a needle so essentially just like with speaker twitching so you would have to like hold it on the key and then strike it so with that I could only play with one hand for a while since then I've made um, essentially just this giant wire that it was just rolled up in a in a circle so it looks just like a big slinky that goes across it and that allows me to play with like four mallets and play normally it's not as accurate as using the one needle so i but i can also sort of like use the mallets and kind of adjust it as i'm playing since it's just a loose cord across yeah the first piece that i wrote for this it was before i figured out how to do the bar before i really knew how it was going to play or if it was going to work so that was the piece one of the pieces i'm playing at basic which is sign language and that one i wrote it in mind with uh keeping it somewhat simple and so you could play it with one hand or you could play it with both hands and the main idea behind it was i also knew i couldn't play anything with a rigid tempo especially since it would only work part of the time or if i wanted a certain note to come out it i didn't want anything too regulated so it would sound like it's, I'm trying to fix it as it's going. So the name sign language actually came from the idea of like both sign, like sign wave and then learning a new language. So I use that idea to kind of have it kind of stumble through the piece as if you're trying to figure out the best way to, uh, like how, like while you're learning something new, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to figure out your way through it. So that's sort of how the piece evolve so there's like little phrases that build off each other and then certain moments that get a lot louder and then come back down because you figured that out in terms of rigidity 
did that was that a very different way for you to compose like were you, were you used to when you've written stuff have you looked at things and you've thought like you know very much in a either straightforward linear fashion or were you was this was this idea of it being kind of open you're like i've kind of done this but this is a new format that i'm doing this yeah absolutely um like even before i came to uh, penn state i originally started as a classically trained pianist so most of what i knew was learn the notes and then play it from that so especially with like improvisation it i really did not like it especially when I was younger because I was like I don't know what notes to play (laughs) I can't just make it up on the spot but um of course like getting involved with the composition department here that's been helping going more towards music that's open and has less of a strict format it's not only helped um my ideas of like writing music but it's also helped a ton with uh just learning to improv and getting better with it especially with this instrument um, I've noticed a couple times when I've played it out, I'll have sort of a piece written out, or at least I'll have sort of a melody and then I'll be playing it and I'll be like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't working. We're going to play this, <laughs> but I've been able to actually, uh, play through it and it sounds like a full coherent piece. So that's been a really cool result of like playing this more and more as like, as I get more comfortable with the instrument, I'm able to improvise on it and, figure out how the instrument's sounding. Gotcha. Well, and the benefit is it's a brand new instrument. So it's, it's like, everything's perfect. (laughs) So again, everything is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to hope it works. That's that's (laughs) the biggest problem, right? Yeah. I always say, um, it works about 30% of the time, (laughs) which it's been, it's getting better, but, um, Yeah. (laughs) So there's a so there's a you're saying there's a high probability it just may not even work at PASIC. I'm hoping that's not the case. Because <laughs> <Right, sure. laughs> uh, it's at the point now, I'm actually going to like with this link essentially slinky that I have across it, I think I'm gonna add a couple more needles to it that are just gonna kind of dangle off of it. I found it usually works, especially if I have completely fresh like nine volt batteries. It uses three at a time. And as long as I plug those in and then play right away, it'll last about 30 minutes before the batteries start to die down. So usually with that, the lights are really bright and it's really loud. The main issue I've run into is if I play it for a long extended period of time, it'll start to get quieter and fade down. So like it's still doing the effect, but of course it's not as vibrant as I would want it. What kinds of things are part of your of the speaking part of your presentation? I'm going to have a... Uh, PowerPoint that'll essentially just show closer up pictures of what the instrument is and what's going on since I want to be able to show what's happening with it and the audience may or may not be able to see it and then it'll be about half and half between explaining like the basic functions of it how it was built and then performing with it. Tell me about your both your percussion and your other musical responsibilities and I should say artistic responsibilities as they are now. You have, you have a long, um, you have a lot of monikers as part of your. Uh... Composer, sound design, uh, music technology. I guess I'd be enthusiast, but using music technology, filmmaker and dancer. So essentially I have a lot of interests in a lot of different places, which is also essentially how the Franken vibe was made. 
Um, but I've been kind of stubborn about not wanting to give up any of them. Sure. So <laughs> it's actually helped into creating like multimedia performances, which is the main uh, thing that I kind of work towards and like to do the most. So using things that are both musical and using a performative aspect, as well as applying, appealing to a visual uh, part of it. And like, so either through film or through dance or movement, finding ways to combine all of those together to create a performance that can then be seen both live and then uh, afterwards to making sure everything is filmed and has a way to be seen. Are you in school right now? Yes. So, so kind of funny story. So I just, I just recently graduated in 2021 from Penn state and um, on, in my undergrad, I did uh, film video development and then also music technology as my two majors. And my senior recital was essentially this huge multimedia performance where I had a percussion quartet and a tap dancer perform live with uh, clips of a film that I created and then bits of actual or real, <laughs> I shouldn't say actual real films because it is an actual real film but clips from other films that I had taken like inspiration from. So we used, I used that in the music that was being arranged. So it was arranged music along with composed music with created um, video along with films together. So it was this huge conglomerate project. And then after that, I did the one year performance certificate, which allowed me to both focus more on composition and essentially refine my skills there since I hadn't taken formal classes on that. And then also keep doing these multimeter projects. I got to work on musical, which was really cool. Uh, Penn State was doing a, a production of Midsummer's Night Dream. So I got to write music for that and help with the sound designer. So I got to come to rehearsals during Tech Week. And that was amazing. So that was kind of also inspiring me to be like, yeah, I want to keep doing this, do things that involve a bunch of different uh, areas of expertise. And then after that, uh, I've been working with my one professor here, and we're actually creating an MFA program that is combining sound design and music. So he's only had one other grad student before. So he usually focuses on undergrad because the sound design program here is it's very competitive. It's really great. All the people who come out of it are amazing. So he's focused on that. But I was talking with him last year, especially after doing musical I was like this like I want to do this I want to do more things like it so we've been creating a program that uses both the schools and is more I think like an intermediate or not intermediate interdisciplinary yeah, yeah right. interdisciplinary um program so it's I'm really excited about that so I'll be starting that in the spring and that'll be I'll be doing stuff with the recording studio and sound doing things within the school of theater taking classes through there, doing sound design for shows, and then also doing music here, doing composition. So I'm very, I'm very excited for that. So is the, is composition the main portion of the, the main musical portion, I should say, or think, are you, are you playing as well? What's that? What's. Yeah. My goal is to essentially sort of do what I've been doing now, where it's a mixture of composition, but also performance and using technology with it. Where did the technology portion come to you? 
Why, why is this the, the thing that you've latched onto? That actually goes back to when I was applying for college. I told my mom I wanted to be an English major. She told me I would be living on the side of a highway in a box. So not to pick that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, but it, what if it's a nice box? <laughs> yeah. And I also really wanted to do music, but um, my brother had also started out as a music major and he had been kind of put off from it because he was music education and Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a very demanding degree because it's essentially music and education degree on top of each other. Yep. So I was sort of put off from that, but I knew I still wanted to do music. And I mean, I ended up going for film, so it wasn't like much better than English, I guess, but <laughs> I convinced my mom it was better. So one of my first classes that I had to pick, I like came to one of the uh, new student like orientations and we were filling out our schedule and I needed a, it was like integrative arts. And the one class that was there was, it was, uh, what was it? it was called Science of Music. And it was taught by uh, Mark Ballora at the time, who he just recently passed away, but he was my original professor in that. And I, as soon as I like went into that class, it was, it was literally just my favorite class that I did. And I like ended up going up to him afterwards and was like, hey, I want to do, I originally started as a minor. So I was like, I want to do this. This is so cool. Cause it was just combining like math concepts and applying it to acoustics, uh, showing how sine waves form it just a whole breadth of information. That was, it was really cool to understand it as a musician and then see the science aspect behind it. Once I started getting into the minor, that's that like spring is when I learned about logic and ha- learned how to do projects. So I was doing all these little mini compositions with the loops through logic. Um, like one of our projects, we had to use like Looney Tune sounds. So I would make like essentially trap beats with Looney Tunes. That was really fun. I did. There was one project we had to essentially score a clip. And originally I did it wrong. Cause I didn't realize it was supposed to be a comedic clip. I thought it was supposed to be serious. So it was sort of in the last minute, but I decided to uh, play like the Wii theme on just like through MIDI. So it was just like the vibraphone MIDI on it. And then all of the sound effects throughout it, it was like a Charlie Chaplin clip. All the sound effects were uh, different vocalizations of Owen Wilson saying, wow. (laughs) 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 Very specific. Nice. (laughs) But yeah, it was like just doing projects like that where it was, they were so much fun because it was like a, I don't know who else would enjoy this, but I'm. <laughs> these are great. And then even my um, my first film project that I did was like an experimental film. And I was filming my brother, who he was also at Penn State at the time. He was playing marimba, so it was a piece that he was learning at the time. And then I also had him read excerpts from the book that my professor taught in uh, Science of Music. So he wrote the curriculum book that would go with it so he was reading through and it was about uh what was it? it was essentially just saying like what a sound wave is and he like read through the whole paragraph so I had like shots of like close-up of his mouth and like <laughs> anything I could think of and then just went like wild with the video where there's like all these effects happening his like voice changes throughout it and it was yeah. From there, I was like, yeah, no, I just want to keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, that's great. I'm sure you've seen this, like on when they would do take like a horror film and then they put like the like uh, the best. My favorite is The Shining. Yeah, they cut it like it's a romantic comedy. Or do like a teen flick movie. <laughs> yeah. and you're and you're yeah. you watch that and you're just like, oh, this kind of works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's all. I love I love stuff like that because you're um, it's forcing you to. It's not even just that you're having to think outside the box. It's also absurd, which yeah. I, which I'm always I like leaning into the absurd. Yeah, yeah, that's always that's always the best part to do with technology. Right. What I'm curious, what piece? Would you know what piece your brother was playing? Yes, it was uh, Leaper Tango. Oh yeah, but yeah, I say because <laughs> eventually. Um, because I he stayed like he also did the PVC program, so he was three years older than me. So I was here my freshman year; it was his senior year. But he ended up staying another year, so I used him in more film projects that I did. But I also did War Drum Peace Drum with him, which that ended up turning out really cool because we were in the newer rehearsal space in Esber here, and I was able to control all the lights so we could like flicker them on and off, and it like matched the fixed media tape that played along like with the snare it was it was really cool one of the other notes when does the how, where does the dance dancer portion fit in all this yeah so <laughs> so i've been dancing since i was three years old it's the one uh activity that my mom signed me up for that i stuck with i went through like every sport but i stayed in dance the whole time mm-hmm. and um i knew i still wanted to dance in college when I came here. So I was trying to find like a dance team that would work and I ended up joining tapestry. So that was the resident tap group here. And what was funny was beforehand tap wasn't really my main thing that I did, especially at the dance studio I was at growing up. It was more of a side thing. Like there weren't as many students in it and we would have like shorter classes, but then I got here and I got to meet all these people who had been doing like competitive tap and all these cool things and they were doing a lot more of rhythmic tap. So I had mostly just done like a Broadway style. So it's more like fixed steps. And then those are in different orders. Whereas rhythm tap is like using just the actual sounds of the shoes. And then it's not necessarily like a fixed step. It kind of, it's almost like more improvisatory. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool for me because then that was also the idea of, Oh, this is percussion. I can do stuff with that. But uh, I didn't actually start getting, start doing projects with it until the pandemic hit because it was in the middle of the spring semester of my junior year. And I was, I was in a composition class and I was supposed to do a couple different projects, but all of a sudden we didn't have access to the studios, to a bunch of different equipment. I didn't have instruments because all the instruments are huge marimbas and stuff that are here that I would normally use. And I realized I was home and I had my tap shoes because I was also uh, a dance teacher at the time. So I ended up using that and then just doing projects that involve tap and music. It was awesome to just combine them. Like I was literally tapping out in like the driveway outside, like the apartment we were in. And (laughs) I think I went to like a local park and just like anywhere I could go that was open and then after that, like going into my senior year, I really wanted to keep using tap and dance as part of performances. So I ended up doing that in my senior recital and I actually had one of my 
good friends from Tapestry. We did like a tap duet that was set to essentially a fixed media piece. So it was the whole clip was Moses supposes from singing in the rain, but I spliced it and essentially mashed it with all kinds of different like TV shows and clips from movies that I really loved growing up. So there was like scenes from the tick scenes from uh, like adult swim, the <laughs> mm-hmm. Skeletor's like breakfast burrito was in it. And we did a whole tap dance to it because she had actually learned uh, the actual dance for Moses supposes. So we were combining that with all of these like interjections happening. And it, yeah, it, it was so fun. That was one of my more absurd, but more, more fun pieces. And then that combined with the full project, which used uh, arrangements of film scores together, but that was like a middle interlude in it. Were you talking about the cartoon tick? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there was a, I grew very fond of the, there was a live action tick from like the early 2000s with Patrick yep. Warburton. Oh, yep. I, that's so good. So our cat is, my, my wife and I, our cat is named, his name's Matt, Manny, but his full mm. name is Batman Well. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so it's good somebody knows that. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. So yeah. So only when he's yeah. really in trouble does do we call him Batman Well. He's... <laughs> Well, awesome. All right. Well, let's let's back up, Bree. Where did you grow yeah. up? Lansdale, PA. So it's about three hours uh, southeast from Penn State. So it's right in the southeast corner of PA. So are you near? Is, is that where Scranton is, or that's for the? Scranton's about two hours up. Okay. So we're closer to it's. Uh, I think it, I don't know if it's technically considered one of the outer neighborhoods of Philadelphia, but we're. We're like a short train ride from Philadelphia. So we're one of the kind of suburbs that are around it. Close to New Jersey? Yeah, I think we're about an hour from the Jersey border. You kind of have answered this, but I'll ask it to to reframe it. Family members in the arts. Actually, my entire family is in the arts. So also a funny thing with Penn State, my entire family has gone to Penn State. So (laughs) like literally all of um, my parents met in the blue band. So my mom, she was a silk at the time and my dad was on snare. And then my brother and his now wife also met in the blue band. Uh, all of my mom has four siblings. They all went to Penn state. They all met their spouses at Penn state, except for one who went to Pitt, which they always say like, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> oh, right, sure, yeah. I get it. <laughs> but yeah. So it, like we had a big Penn state influence, but yeah, my dad is a percussionist. So we actually have, our basement when they moved into our current house they moved like right when i was born but he has a built-in sound studio that he created in the basement so the walls are soundproof the floor isn't as soundproof so you can still hear drums coming up but he has five drum sets down there oh i believe including his main one that he calls the mothership and it's it it, it is the mothership like there are so many drums on i want to say there's eight toms nice. or something like that but it's like everything you can think of it's this huge setup and now he has it so uh he's like set up monitors so he can actually record while he's playing and like see it happening it's been really cool and he has his um he has a whole setup so he'll do some work down there but he has it set up to record and edit and whatnot so that was yeah so that's our basement and then 
my brother also did percussion. So he learned drums and then I started out on piano. So for a while I was just doing that. And then what ended up changing was I played saxophone in band and I didn't like the saxophone. <laughs> so I got to sixth grade and I wanted to quit mainly because I didn't like that you had to like put your teeth on the top of the armature and blow into it. I didn't like how it like made my head rattle. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. But um, my band director at the time, she was like, oh, well, the vibraphone's like a piano. It's got, it's got a pedal. So <laughs> she actually gave me flute parts to read. So I was playing uh, flute parts with two mallets in the band then. And then I ended up taking lessons on keyboards. So that was my main instrument for a while. And then in eighth grade, I wanted to try out for jazz band, but I had tried out before on piano, but of course that was like the main instrument everyone tried out for on. So I, I didn't make it my in seventh grade. In eighth grade, I told my dad a week before the audition that I wanted to learn drum set so I could audition on that. So he uh, essentially did a speed run of <laughs> here's how to play drum set, but I did make it. So that started out doing drums and then from there, like I did marching band. So I was playing marimba, uh, mostly keyboards, but then I was doing other percussion with it. And then coming to Penn state, um, I started out doing like mallet ensemble, but since then, especially since I eventually, um, transferred from doing a minor to a major, I got to do all sorts of percussion. So now I'm across the board percussion. (laughs) Oh, and my mom, I almost forgot my mom. She, so she played flute for a while, and then she also played alto sax, and then she ended up in the color guard for blue band. But yeah, so very very musical family. <laughs> so you're, you're, what you're saying is your father's in a Rush cover band? Is that what, what he's in? So yeah. <laughs> oh, is, I'm not far off. No. Uh, <laughs> he was his own band that he was in. Originally, it was called Flesh Tuxedo. That I think that was the one that he started in college. And then for a while, uh, even like when I was younger, he was in a band. It was called Sonic Boom. And we would actually go, they would like play in parks and stuff. So we would go to concerts. So I remember going like when I was younger. And I remember, I think I was like five at the time. They uh, played the song. It's like, today's your birthday. And they're like, no, 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 no. They played that for me on my birthday. So I thought that was the coolest thing. But it was even at the point where I didn't understand what covers were mm-hmm. when I was younger. So they would play like Carry On My Wayward Son, play that funky music. So I would hear those on the radio and I would get really excited to be like, oh, my God, dad songs on the radio. <laughs> like, this is crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, so <laughs> um, they haven't that band hasn't played in a while. But now he's playing with um He's played with a couple like cover bands, a couple of bands in the area. He's done uh, sound for um, a local barbershop quartet. So he's still doing a lot of stuff with drums, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, unfortunately, uh, Bree, the royalty checks do, do not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it was awesome, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is like the family business kind of thing in some ways. Yeah. It was one of those things where for a while I didn't 
really want to do it because it was more like it was my brother's thing. Sure. He, he was really good at drum set and really good at snare. So especially when I first started doing percussion, I was like, oh, I can do keyboards. But then it was like, it, once I got over that of being like, that's only Zach's thing. It's like, yeah, no, it's really cool to do all of it. So what was your, or how far did you get piano wise? I got decently far. So I know I went through, I think it was the, it was Alfred set of like lesson books. So I went all the way through it. It was, I know it started with like a, and then eventually Mm -hmm. went through. Yeah. So I went through all of those and then I was playing classical pieces and my piano teacher actually also got, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) Alfred's premier piano course. I, uh, it's funny. I have my, nephew i uh i'm teaching i teach on on facetime uh we do weekly piano lessons and so i'm working through the alfred nice. with them yeah anyway so yeah so i did i went through all of those books i ended up doing a lot of classical pieces i think on my senior recital in high school i did uh rustles of spring which was really fun i can't think of the composer at the moment but it was like it was one of those where your hands just like flying the mm-hmm. whole time because the main thing with piano was I really loved playing fast mm-hmm. which is actually what um, ended up getting me into like arranging and like of course like composing too because I would be like oh this chord is so cool and then I would like have a little thing so I have all these little like scraps of paper that I had from when I was like seven starting piano and it would just be the letters of the notes written out because I, I <laughs> didn't have it all fully scri- uh, transcribed out mm-hmm. but uh, my teacher ended up actually encouraging me to arrange more because it was, honestly, I was in fifth grade at the time. I was playing, so I was playing solfeggio, and then I was also playing, um, it was one from one of the Alfred books, but it was called like Scherzo, but it was one of those things where you start out slow and then get faster. And then I was also playing Toccata and Fugue in D minor. Mm. So I took the fastest parts from all of those and put them together and then showed my piano teacher how fast I could play it. Cause that was, <laughs> yeah. that's a very, that's such like a young person thing. Like, Look at the speed I got. <laughs> I was like, that would usually, she would be like, you need to actually play accurately, but I was like, Look how fast I can say that. She had me actually play that arrangement on like a piano recital. So that was really cool. And then, from there, I I was also really good at the time at um, sort of like sounding out melodies from like pop songs and stuff I really liked. And I would find just like sheet music from online from like anywhere that was like free that I could find it. I found a pretty good arrangement of Bohemian Rhapsody that I learned. But a lot of the times it was just sort of like the chords and most of the songs. So I could figure it out that way. Yeah. And then I ended up doing that for, I want to say it was seven songs at the time and I like arranged them all together and then also arranged a part for my friend who played cello and then also drums for my dad so we did a whole like set that was like this combination of songs but I liked going through it because it felt like working like a puzzle like I would write out all of the chords of each song see initially if any of them matched and then see if any were like close enough so especially trying to keep them in their like relative pitches that they had because it would always sound different to me if I like moved it and then kind of just like splicing them together which is what I ended up I end up doing now but it's cool to like 
look back and realize I was doing that before, even without the formal education. <laughs> no, it's clearly a, a, a method of hearing and arranging that you you attach yourself to and it mm-hmm. why, why not keep going it's funny i'm glad you found like a i guess a, a good arrangement of bohemian rhapsody i tried to like the scariest one of the scariest things i did recently uh, i teach i co-teach a jazz pop and rock class here mm-hmm. i decided for the final that i would play some piano because i hadn't done it at all with chords, I just kind of figured out a, a version of the the opening part of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Once the mama thing starts. Yeah. And and it was like, it was a hilarious, the, the jazz professor perfectly said it. He's like, it was just too, it was like just hard enough. And I was sitting there like, it was so scary because I'm like, everybody knows this song. I'm just doing it for fun. Yeah. You know, just kind of like as a final, like a last test thing. And I'm sitting there, I'm like... Like, it's like almost I'm like, I'm like, the pieces, everyone knows this and I'm trying to play it. It was like, and then I played uh, Van Halen's Jump and that was a whole lot easier. Uh, yeah. Okay. I had a Van Halen book. I would always get a lot of books. Like I had an evidence yeah. book during like oh, middle sweet. school. That, that probably is really good. Yeah. They were, they were pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I know good enough was the last one in that book. And that was one that I really liked playing. Cause that was also like the longest arrangement they had, yeah. but most of them, especially since Amy Lee like plays piano, they were pretty close. If not the actual things in it, the only ones that got a little weird were ones that were more like guitar based and less piano. So those were like a little iffy, but yeah, yeah. it's interesting. They're, they're a group that I, every time I hear them, I'm like, I should listen to them more. Yeah. <laughs> Because they were around and then they weren't. Are they back? They were touring recently. Yeah. I think they toured like last year because I, I think my mom went to see them. But yeah, <laughs> she didn't take me. <laughs> wow. And you're like, you better be home at a, at a decent <laughs> It was while I was at like school. So I, I had something going on. But yeah, oh, so I wanted to go. <laughs> going back to your dance background. Mm-hmm. So are you focusing, is it a program where it's the jazz, ballet, tap kind of three trio that you're doing as part of your dance? Or is it you were focusing mostly on one thing? Through like graduating high school, I was doing like every type of dance that was, it was essentially everything like my studio offered. So we had, of course, like ballet, tap, jazz, but then contemporary, modern, hip hop. So it was I did as much as I could, which I really liked. And then once I came to Penn State, it was one of those things where uh, either there wasn't a dance minor at the time or like sometimes it would switch. Mm -hmm. So it was harder to get into dance classes here. So I was just trying to find a group. But the group that I ended up getting into was a tap group. So most of it was tap, but they still did jazz with it. So I got to keep doing it through there. And then once I started working as a dance teacher, uh, that started around like my junior year, junior through senior year, I worked as a teacher, I was teaching tap, but then I also got to teach, um, jazz and ballet. And it was about also through ages like two through high school. Mm -hmm. So it was cool to see the different styles there. And now, um, it's sort of just like a hobby pastime. I don't have anything like specifically that I'm taking for it, but I just keep it (laughs) around. Sure. You get, yeah, I mean, it must take a lot of work to get those two-year-olds to, to do point ballet, I would imagine. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> getting them to do anything was a fun time. <laughs> it was like a movement class. So it wasn't even fully like a dance class. So it, they were so cute. Mm-hmm. But it was also like right around where it was like summer of like 21 where I was having like recitals or it might've been actually the summer of 20. So we figured out we could have like outdoor recitals, but like half the class ended up dropping out cause we were online for a while and then came back in person with masks and air purifiers and all that. But, uh, they were, it was so cute cause they, uh, the dance I made for them was, it was buttercup. So they were holding flowers and then they're like little like tutus were like, uh like buttercups and like daisy it was the cutest thing but i had to like be on stage with them and half of it was just like walk forward point your flower come back <laughs> walk in a circle <laughs> like yeah those are fun i had another <laughs> i had a class where i was teaching seven-year-olds ballet but it was an hour and a half class which if yeah spending an hour and a half with 12 seven-year-olds they don't want to do ballet for <laughs> so I had to I would get creative with like all right we're gonna play a game <laughs> like, yeah. or uh yeah it was a fun time oh yeah help me be more creative with things. of course you learn teaching patience yeah uh, you learn creative uh cre- creative curriculum um mm. you know teaching designs it's all yeah it's all there you immediately the thing that that I was thinking like when you're talking about kind of working with such young ages and like you know just corralling them. Um, I think we, my wife and I, got to watch our nephew uh, as part of a. He was like in a karate class, but he was four, <laughs> and it was literally like he would just like run, like shoot across the room, and that was the whole thing for. And you know the and the director the 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 teacher was like just trying to like you know here's a little like a like throw like a punch or a kick and it just like and the kid was just like run and then he and it was just it was it was super entertaining like it was yeah just, yeah they they were fun yeah. <laughs> I, I imagined you had you had some of those moments where yeah I had I had a couple runners <laughs> that were just go like my go-to was uh it was this one it was just on youtube but it was like it's called like walk run stop or something like that but it was one of those songs where it's it'll say something and then it plays music for it and it does like eight or so of them and then it's like now try to remember what it was when we play the music but it's like walk skip hop uh ice skate so and it goes on for like a good five minutes so that was always my, like, we're going to calm down and do this right now. Nice. Is it basically just a, a, a foregone conclusion you're going to Penn State for college? <laughs> so originally it was the same thing where I was like, I don't I want to be percussion. My brother's percussion. I was yeah. like, I don't, I'm not going to Penn State. And then, <laughs> but I only applied to like three or four schools, something like that. But my like top two were of course uh, Penn State and then it was Boston University at the time. Mm-hmm. But I ended up getting in there, but I didn't get any scholarships. And it was and then like right after that, I got a scholarship from Penn State. So it was both like I could go there, but it would be like eighty grand a year out of state. So it was like do that or go here, where I know the campus 
fairly well. And it's like, I know I'm going to be able to do stuff here, which it worked out. Cause especially um, like even in the music department, like they built the new hall, like my freshman year, they were building it. So by the end of that year or it was either end of my freshman or sophomore year that the full new hall was built. And then we had a lot of like new faculty come in that are all really pro uh, collaboration and new music and like doing all these projects. So it's been, it's been really cool. Cause I've essentially been going to two different schools where it was here like beforehand and then seeing like where it's going now. So even though I've been here so long and I'll still be here um, for a couple more years, it's still feels like it's changing and like I'm getting a lot out of it. What year did Lee get there? Last year. Okay. Yeah. So that was part of the reason why I ended up deciding to do a PPC was that um, because in the spring before he came in, we, since I was in percussion club and I was the president at the time, uh, we had uh, student meetings with, it was like the final like three candidates. So it was really cool to like see all of them. They were all really cool. And then it was like, uh, once we found out like Lee was coming, I was like, yeah, he's, he's really cool. I want to stay another year. <laughs> Who would you been working with before percussion wise? So originally it was Dan Armstrong. Oh yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, he, yeah. he had been there a long time. Yeah. He actually, he started when my dad was here. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And then we also had uh gif Howard step in for a little bit and then we had an interim person and then, yeah, the man Lee. And that's all while you've been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've had, um, change in composition. Uh, of course, uh, Mark Laura passed away unexpectedly. So we had a new, uh, technology person come in, uh, Dennis Glocky retired. So we have a new uh, director of bands who came in too. So it's been a lot of changes, but they're all like, it's cool to see like they all want to move towards like new music to do more collaborations, do all these things together. Like last year, uh, the composition studio and percussion studio did a whole collaboration together because we had the vibraphone festival. So that was also what helped trigger thinking like with speaker twitching use the vibes because i we we were partnered with everybody in the composition studio was partnered with somebody in percussion but uh i was partnered with myself to make a piece Interesting. so it um it was cool because i ended up using that as the piece i did did you feel left out like no because i still uh one of the since i was also technically like a composer and in percussion studio, one of the freshmen at the time wrote a piece for me too. So I got to play that, which that was cool. Working with so many percussionists, what, what kinds of things were you having to adjust? Cause there's just, there's just a lot of people that's more than someone. <laughs> working with, that's for sure. Luckily, like all the people that have worked here, they've been really great. So the main thing is just learning like how people teach or how they internet interact like, I know it's also weird being here so long because then um, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember this time that none of you were here because <laughs> <Right. laughs> it was six years ago. <laughs> You're almost on faculty there. Like. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of wild. But um, I know especially with directors, like, um, with, like, Maestro here and um, Dennis Glocky, it was one of those things where 
especially with conductors, you have to essentially learn how they conduct. So people, will, it'll be like their first day in symphonic band or orchestra and they'll be like I am so lost like where is the beat and it <laughs> but now that I've had so many different people it's I can like tell a lot easier like I know with Guaki he mentioned in like one of his uh, rehearsals he was like yeah someone told me I conduct in a figure eight and then like from that day on I knew exactly where everything was because it was like he, yeah that's how you do it <laughs> yeah and then you have ones who um like have a lot more like expression in it, but especially when you go from like marching band with like, very, <laughs> very structured out to um, you have to like figure out which beats they're emphasizing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then with like teachers, it's, it's cool even just to see like different things that they point out or the way that they like explain different things. Like um, I know with Lee, like one of the things he was helping me work on, cause I don't do actual snare drum a lot, but he was, um, we were just doing a thing where we were like watching each other's hands and it helped a ton, which I, like, I hadn't like done that before, but then like in lessons with Dan, it was usually like, uh, he would just like mention something and it, I'd be able to fix it or it would help a bunch of different stuff, mm-hmm. which was the same thing with GIF. Cause he would come and do mallet lessons. It was like, uh, it was usually like a Friday, during like each month that he would come in, but it was always, it was always crazy. Cause he would like point out something and then it would fix like all of my problems at the time. And I would just be like, how, how do you know? This? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause he'd just be like, Oh, do that. And then <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but it, it's been cool to like see all the different things coming together. Cause then I can kind of use a little bit of everyone. And then that also helps with, more new people coming in that it's like, I can see what to look for, what to listen, uh, see what's happening. What GIF is doing, that's like my grad school mentor would do that, like five words. And you're like, (laughs) really? You just fix everything just like that. And so like, that's always been the goal is to try to, it's like, can I get down to that? Can Can I just make it like, Oh, this close. Yeah, it would. <laughs> it's like it's both like you know it's is it right it's like really impressive and then annoying because you're like yeah. when you're on the other side of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like I would always because the lessons with him would be like 10 15 minutes because it would be um since he would only be able to come every so often it was usually like once a month maybe a couple times a month mm-hmm. but he was like here for like a, only a couple hours and then it was all the people in the studio would have Usually it was like between 30 and 50 minute lessons with them. If you could only get a short time in, but he would be able to just fix so much within that time frame, And I would just come out and be like, what? (laughs) I was like, what? But yeah, it it always helped. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, what's cool is that, I mean, okay. So you're probably, you're in a position where you're, you don't have no control over who who who's your, you get to take from, but it seems like you had the right mindset of I'm just going to pull what I can from all these teachers and not worry too much about being con- like really connected to one. Just yeah, has that been the same with the composition people you study with? So yes and no. I don't know okay. if I like can mentioned the like previous professor but essentially uh before our new professor came here he's amazing but um 
the guy who was here beforehand, it was actually in one of Dennis Glocky's rehearsals that he was just, I think he was just talking about music, but he would, we would call it like Glockyisms. Like he would just have these phrases that would like stick with you for so long. So it was just something like that where he was just talking about how like great it is to be able to be in a band and like listen to music and perform. And it was just like that day that I was just sitting there and I was like, oh man, I like, I need to major in music. So I ended up talking to him afterwards and was like, Hey, I really want to do composition. Cause that was originally what I was going to do at Penn state before I decided to do film. Mm-hmm. But, um, he was like, yeah, I talked to this person who it was at the time. And I met with him and he told me I was, a, it was my fall semester as a sophomore. He told me it's too late for me. <laughs> to join the composition program (laughs) and he like yeah he just didn't have a great attitude about it at the time like he I think he was like either leaving after that year but he ended up leaving like that spring semester I don't even know what it was but like my interactions with him were super weird he there was like no studio beforehand and then um after that fall a new person came in it was an interim person but it was uh, Alex Heppelman and he was teaching at the time it was electronic music composition so I was taking that and then he had mentioned in the class oh hey if you're free like right after this I'm teaching film and video game scoring and at the time I was like that's exactly what I want to do so I was taking that with him so I had those two classes back to back and those were like my first like official composition classes but everything he was doing was essentially a lot like Dolores classes where you're doing uh, a bunch of different things through logic, putting, pulling pieces together. Like we made a MIDI keyboard with like sounds and stuff. I used, um, cause it was like over spring break. I went to Disney world. So I, rec- I recorded some of the rides that I was on <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. and then like spliced it and then made a piece with that. And then I also like for my final projects with that, I did the score for like the film project I was working on. So that was, really cool. And then that helped me transition into the music major. And then Bollinger came in right after, um, Ballora passed suddenly. So he was originally coming in for composition, but he sort of took over composition and technology as they were trying to find a new person for it. But he, um, he came from Florida, I think it was Florida state university that he was teaching at, but he's amazing composition person and he's also a percussionist and he like reworked the entire studio like got like all new equipment for it and he was awesome like very approachable very like fun to talk to and of course there's a lot uh, more like pro new music wants you to do things outside of your comfort zone um and it yeah it was really cool to have him and then uh steven rice who's our new composition professor i had a class with him that spring because he was teaching while he was still in Chicago and it was uh, max MSP at the time. And then he ended up teaching after that and he became my main advisor, but both of them were, I mean, I still uh, talk to them now because I mean, they're still professors, (laughs) but like they're, they're really great and they're very helpful. Like you can reach out to them whenever you need. It's a, they've both built up the composition and technology department because before like one of the reasons I wasn't a music tech major was because it didn't exist. Mm. So it was like only a minor. And then one of my friends mentioned he was like a music tech major. And I was like, 
how? <laughs> so there were like two of us in the degree. And now there's, I want to say like 10 or so. And I know the composition studio is the same way. Like there were, there was like nobody. I think there were like three students when uh, Dr. Sekhan started here. And then um, th- there's like over 20 now. And they've been doing like, this is the second year, I think that they're doing uh, a new music festival. And I know Lee has been uh, bringing stuff to do festivals here. Like we did the vibraphone fest and like, there's been so many opportunities and both uh, Stephen and Balchander are people who are very pro, like submit your work to stuff, go out there. Here's how you can apply to a job. Here's what you can do with it. And Lee's the same way. So it's, it's very cool to see that direction and then see the studios growing because of it. The fact that there are now uh, a lot more com- composition people, is that fun? Like, are you enjoying, do you get to interact with, with all of them? Yeah, it's been, it's been really cool. Cause I, uh, since Baltimore started here, my junior year, uh, like even then I was like playing on composition concerts and like playing different pieces, but it's like, I've been able to be like part of the studio. Like last year I took every seminar they have. So it's usually, they have like one for each class, so like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior grad. But since I was doing the PPC and I essentially just wanted to learn as much as I could about composition, I took all of them <laughs> at the same time. So it was also just really cool to see um, how like, he would approach teaching each class differently. And it, yeah, they're all great. And they're, they're like going to all these like international festivals. Like I think like three of them were in Italy this past year, like just crazy stuff. And like, they're all super sweet. So it's, it's very nice to also have people just to talk to and be like, Oh, Hey, what do you think about this or share music with, or especially like being a percussionist, like I perform for a lot of them. Or it's like I can find help find people to be like, oh, I need a player for this and whatnot. Yeah, no, I I can imagine that would be like pretty easy to just kind of you got the people to put it together. Yeah. Everyone's right there. And that's a I, I will I mean that's that's a great idea to it's to just get stuff out. Um because it's a good habit to have, first of all. Yeah. You know, um also you can get over and hopefully we'll get over you know, if you're like, I don't know what I think of this, like my piece is okay. And he's like, no, no, just like send it out. <laughs> the yeah. worst thing is they're just not going to pick you. Fine. Yeah. I say <laughs> one of the things that Baldinger does is he encourages us to like forward him like rejection letters mm. and he like celebrates them. He's like, yeah, like his goal is like get as many rejections as you can. Cause then of course, if you submit to 50 things, even if 49 reject you, at least one gets in. So it's, it's really cool. to have. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's nice. If you get a rejection, anything. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. You hear nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, you, did you actually receive what I sent you? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Finish up with a segment called random ask questions. Yes. As I saw that on your website. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Uh, so first question is what's an issue I, I'm, you can apply it to like all of your different fields uh, <laughs> in whatever way you would like to. Um, but something that whether it's 
percussion, composition, audio design, dance, like whatever, that most gets under your skin and drives you most nuts? Well, my first thought would be when things don't work, but I mean, that's kind of a given <laughs> with everything. One of the things I do run into a lot, especially with technology and different things, and like part of the thing that I, I'm going to like bring up at PASIC is that with doing technology, a lot of people initially are like, oh, like I could never do that. Or like, that's so impossible. Or like, you're this like genius because I know how to set up a microphone and it's like, they're not that like complicated. So it's, um, I've been trying to find ways to sort of break that stigma of like, there is sort of this like gatekeeping around technology. Cause it's really like, once you know the like basic concepts and you know, what's actually happening, it's a lot less scary. So especially with playing new pieces, I've been, um, trying to get like people to play more that involve, crazy things are crazy technology that's not just acoustic so like part of like with the actual franken vibes is it's all based on a simple circuit and like i didn't know how to do electrical engineering before like yes i have a tech background but i never built an instrument and that's something that it's in it's still an acoustic instrument since it attaches with just tinfoil and wire and it's something like essentially that you would be doing with um like a speaker system, you would be wiring it through that way, but because it's like right in front of you and based on this simple concept, I wanted to kind of show like, this is a stepping stone, like towards that, like you can like get to these complicated things without mm -hmm. uh, needing like a huge background or uh, have to learn a ton of stuff. Cause as long as you're open to just seeing what something is, it, it'll be a lot easier and it'll give you a lot more opportunities you're talking to someone who, who has frequently not done things for that exact reason. Yeah. <laughs> so I need, I need the, I need the, uh, the emotional support there. <laughs> it took me, it's weird. It took me forever to even open like iMovie to, I had, I had to do something actually, cause I, I'm, I have, I'm something that's part of the virtual sessions this year. And, and I had to fix something in iMovie and I'm like, and it was Google. Like I just Googled it yeah. and it was right there. I was like, Oh, it's really not that hard. And, and I actually, it was fine. And yeah. Yeah. One of my friends, um, he does like YouTube videos and stuff, mm -hmm. but he would like mention like, uh, like he doesn't really know how to like edit or whatnot with video. And of course, like I have the film degree, but I'd be like, you're, you're doing it. Like, <laughs> like, it's not like it's this crazy thing. You need a degree to learn how to do. Like you can, you can just Google it. <laughs> and then the whole point is you get better as you practice it. It's not like you have to have a specific degree or program to teach you something like you can just try it and then see where it goes. But yeah. yeah. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. This is, this is helpful. I need, yeah. I, need this, I need this kind of boost. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, Just go for it. <laughs> awesome. Worst right, thing happened is it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 You do it again or something. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's great advice. Um, now, the next question, and I, I'm gonna, I, I'm, you're again because of the fact that you're in so many different worlds. I'm, I'm gonna allow you to frame it how you want. Okay. But I want you to. I'm curious what how you think about um, issues of inclusion, diversity, and equity within the various fields. And I'm sure that there are different levels for where how those fit in. But, but like, where do you kind of how, how do you think about that regarding all the things yeah through. yeah no it's definitely something that i like try to keep in mind and like actively 
uh, work towards, like even with uh, the speaker twitching stuff, um, the main thing with building behind it was like I could essentially like get these more more like rigged up things to use it, but I also wanted to keep it within like a college student budget, which would be like $10. So a lot of the stuff was either like the speakers are all like broken or reused. It's a laundry cart. It's why it's stuff you can find in like a crafting section, like really cheap materials that also you can uh, like tinker with and keep using without having to spend a ton of money. So that's been one of the, uh, main ideas behind building that and continuing to expand upon it. It's like, I didn't want to go into an area where there would be like a wall that you would have to go through, whether it's um, a wall of like knowledge or a wall of just cost and whatnot going into it. And then, yeah, with dance, that is, that was a big question, especially when I was teaching because with tap, the history of tap is it's really hard to find like online because it was one of those things where I realized I was like of course like you learned the history with like Balanchine and like uh, choreographers and ballet and stuff but you always sort of hear the same things over and over so it's important to sort of look into like okay well where's the like full origin of these things and especially with tap it was um something that did start like in Africa and then was brought over during like slavery but of course the um main thing i could find online where it started was like minstrel shows so it was something where it was like i it's like ah, i know they didn't make that like there <laughs> so it comes from a different place and especially trying to figure out um because i was never really taught the uh full like history of like where certain dances come from it was usually just like a specific choreographer like we would do the nutcracker so we would learn about that but um it was one of those things where especially with students I was trying to figure out how much can I um like teach with that especially when it's like I don't know as much so the main thing I've been trying to do is just like keep reading on things keep like asking questions be like is that the full history of stuff uh going more into that because especially when I was teaching I knew I was only going to be there for a short period of time so I was like I don't know how much I can <laughs> like health in this aspect, but it is important to, um, even just when like trying to find pieces or like videos for like inspiration, looking in all kinds of different areas and things you make that like, wouldn't just be like your first initial go-to. It's like, Oh, well I was taught this, this, this. So I'm going to look at these things, but actually look into it. It's like, okay, is there another aspect I can go to? I think you hit upon something particularly with tap that it's, mm -hmm. It is like a very African American, African and then African American. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say genre, but that's not the right word. But yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. a lot of the style is is there, mm -hmm. and so, and then that's been kind of <laughs> siphoned into like Shirley Temple, like you know, it's yeah. like like these different offshoots. Yeah. Where, where it goes. Um, yeah, and then it's like the people who like popularized it weren't of course not the necessarily people who started it and then it's trying to find um essentially where to somewhat give credit but also just keep awareness of it which that was part of what I was researching when doing my senior project was I, especially with dance and with film too it was the idea of finding like what 
especially in creative uh, aspects and like doing art that is in a creative sense, how much of it is like borrowed and versus like stealing versus um, how do you give credit and how would like copyright work and um, the idea of like, of course, if someone copyrights something, that means it's theirs. But then if that came from something else or was inspired by like how to work through all of that to make art that is um, essentially the most like open about things and like what, yeah, just <laughs> be very clear about like everything that's happening, but then in a way that's um, representative of what it was inspired by. Yeah. Oh, it's so dicey. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? See, there's so many because what? <laughs> well, like if you're in dance, it's almost like almost kind of a yeah. No, because like both with dance and like uh, my mom has a thing where she never throws anything away. So we have like a costume closet, and like I really love going to like thrift stores, Goodwill, finding like the wildest things. The first thing that popped in my head is I have a pair. They're too big, but I couldn't not buy them. They're a pair of uh, knee high laced up denim high heels <laughs> so, I, didn't know that. I didn't know you could put those words together Brie. Yeah. yeah so they, i think they actually go like above the knee but it's essentially like so they're jean like denim material yeah. the top of it is like laced all the way up but they're like their size like i don't even know it was a size i was like too big at the time to wear but it was it was at like a it was at a thrift shop and i was like they were like six bucks it's like, I, I can't not get this. Like, <laughs> like I'll find a use for it. Yeah. Um, I found, I found a full on wedding dress at Goodwill that I think it was, it was like less than $5, but it was like beaded. So I ended up taking all the beads off and then painted it and I made it into like a corpse bride dress. And that's what I used in like the filming for my senior project. Awesome. So yeah, thank you. So I found like, all kinds of wild stuff to just <laughs> do whatever. With. That's great. I was, I was going to say, I yeah. guess, I guess it, the, the, the bridal dress fit then. Yeah. Well, sort of. So it was, <laughs> it was at least, a, sure. yeah, yeah. So it was at least too big. So what I ended up doing was I, uh, this was also before I've been trying to learn how to sew more. And like mm-hmm. my grandma, when she moved, she gave me like all of her, sewing supplies she's been sewing for like her entire life yeah but uh i essentially just stabbed holes in it with scissors Mm -hmm. and then used lace to like make a makeshift corset and then that that essentially made it like uh tight enough that i could fit into it and then i just had like straps and whatnot around it that would make it work but yeah that one was probably the hardest to dance in though because it was very very poofy I, I didn't know if it was because because it was cutting off the, your circle circulation. Oh no 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 no! It was just like a string that I put oh. around. Uh, well, just recently, like as in not this past weekend, but the weekend before, I made uh, bird wings out of wire, a robe, some uh, fabric that I think I also got from Goodwill, and uh, like long wooden dowels, but they were like s'more sticks from like Giant. Mm -hmm. So I was holding the sticks in my hands and made like a full thing of wings because I'm doing a project, a film project for this Friday. It's called like Music for Crematorium. So we're doing different 
music performances. So there's films, fixed media, live performances based off of uh, this one person who is like creating the event. He found a dead bird near his house. So he put a microphone in it and just let it sit for like three days. As one does. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally like how he was saying. And then he used that. He gave us all the audio for it. And that was like, make music with this. So I, yeah, I made bird wings and went to my partner's house in uh, New York and went through the woods with bird wings and ran around. (laughs) That's sweet. That's super cool. Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? (laughs) So my one friend, he he mimicked my walk Uh and it was because I walk very fast, so I'm usually, like, or I have, like, 80 things in my hand because I'm always going somewhere or doing something. And especially when I'm thinking or in, like, a focused mood, I'll essentially think out loud, but I'll do that as I'm walking, too. So I'll randomly, like, turn or, like, flip to the side and then, like, walk a little bit randomly, like, jolt. And, like, they nailed it. I was... I was just like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> nice. Or I know, um, I think the same person, he actually described me to somebody as the girl who always is carrying like 80 things in her hands. And then the person knew who I was based off of that. Oh, Brie? That was Brie. Yeah, yeah, that was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That's hilarious. Do, do people notice this to the point where they hand, well, like if you're not walking with things, they'll, they'll hand you something just so you feel better? No, I have gotten better with asking people to help hold things, though. That has been part of it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't, especially with percussion, like I don't like making multiple trips. So if I can carry it all, like I'm going to. Gotcha. So it's a, it's a, what's the word? Um, you're, you're uh, conserving energy basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just did that like last week we were bringing groceries and I tried to do the same thing, but it was from giant and the bags were just not good and I was carrying a bunch of soup cans mm. and they literally just, the bag just completely ripped open. But I was in like the middle of um, like our driveway, it like wraps around the apartment building and there's a spot where literally cars will just pull through. It was right in the middle of that. And I was just like, I had to think what to do because I couldn't just like leave it there. So it's, yeah, it, it's good to ask for help <laughs> or take multiple trips. Yeah. This once, this once. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. What is a great movie and what is a terrible movie? Uh, You're asking the film major. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, I've mentioned Singing in the Rain. Mm -hmm. Uh, My favorite movie, though, would be Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh. Which, that one, along with Singing in the Rain, it's one I I could just watch, like, a million times. Yeah. They're, They're great. And then a terrible movie because there's terrible, like, bad and terrible funny. Sure. And, like, especially, like, uh, my, like, one of my favorite genres is horror. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's a like, lot terrible. Oh, yeah, no, no. It's, some of them are great. But, because <laughs> there was one, oh, what was it called? It was something like Jesus Christ Vampire Slayer or something oh. like that, which was exactly how it would sound like, yeah, where yeah. it was very bad, but in, like, a good way. Mm-hmm. And, but then there's been like films too where it's either um 
especially like when you're a film major, you start to notice like camera angles and stuff. And if a camera's shaky and it's almost, I'm kind of mad that I learned about it because uh, it was like one of the first films I like watched, like coming home with my family after I'd been like taking film classes. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it was Murder on the Orient Express, the one that came out like a couple years back. Yeah, yeah. But it was one of those things where like none of the shots made sense or they didn't even have like continuity. And I was like, I feel like a snob, like just watching that. Like I, <laughs> I should just be enjoying this movie. But I'm like, why are they holding the like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like, or why would they use that shot? And like, oh yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I, it's a mixed bag. I like it. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you're a fan of horror, I have to ask, have you ever seen the movie men? No. Oh my goodness. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's one of the, there's, it's like, it's so bonkers that, that one of the, um, one of the teachers I teach here with, she and I have, have gone to do a bunch of horror movies here and there. And we've talked about that one. Mm-hmm. We, it's like, it's now a reference point because it, 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 there's a, the ending is so ridiculous that I, I, I don't, I have to, it's like, if you're a fan of yeah, horror, yeah, yeah. see it and then you can yeah. like, you can email me like, or we can, we can maybe find each other a pace. Like, and you'd be like, all right, yeah, yeah. we need to talk about this movie. <laughs> Cause yeah, I have to look for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I don't know that I would say I highly recommend it, but it's definitely I definitely want to know. I want your opinion on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is. I, I wouldn't recommend it, but it's <laughs> kind of a similar thing. It's called Hiss. No. Where know. it's yeah, it's about like this woman god that turns into a snake and like kills people, but it it it's very bad. I think I don't even think I've seen the whole thing through like my partner and I have tried to watch it multiple times because we think it's funny and then we have to turn it off like I was like nah it's enough (laughs) can't handle it anymore (laughs) that's that's good yeah (laughs) are you familiar with the movie rubber yes oh my god I saw that in high school and it was oh my god (laughs) it's so weird I love that it just shakes. <laughs> no, yeah, I I love. That's one of my favorite things about the horror genre is there's so much in it, and it's very hard to tell when something's going to be like that or not. Yeah. Oh, that's great. What one of my former colleagues was like, "You have to see this," and then I did, and I was like, "Why did you tell me to see this?" <laughs> it's so long too. <laughs> Just like the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. just a tire. Yeah, like it just rolls around. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if we're spoiling this movie from you know 15 years ago, but yeah, no, it's, I mean I'm pretty sure the description is literally like a tire just rolling around, just like killing people. Yeah. But like that that's the whole movie. Like that is the whole movie. And there isn't any other like, plot. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> oh, that's great. Awesome, uh, Bree. Do you have a favorite book? Ooh, I know. If you asked me in like through like eighth grade, I would say The Lightning Thief. So like that was of course like the first book that like popped in my head. What is that? Uh, that a, well, I don't know that one. Who is that by? It was one of the like more famous like young adult authors, but it's um, 
essentially, I know, especially a lot of people in the, I don't know if it'd be like generation, but a lot of people knew it was like, it was, um, so it was Percy Jackson and the whole thing was that he was a demigod, but the whole book had like Greek mythology in it. Mm. So it like taught a lot of people Greek mythology, but it would be like, oh, do you only know that? Cause you read Percy Jackson, but yeah. they were really good books. Okay. Um, yeah. Another one that like, I think it was the bell jar. That one's really sad though. Mm. So it's not, it's not like a, f- a fun read. It doesn't have to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I also just read Mindhunter, which uh, that was cool. Cause they like actually based the TV sh- show on Netflix after mm-hmm. it. Another very heavy read. I mean, I read a lot of like Stephen King oh, and horror, no. but yeah. So like, <laughs> actually, yeah. So my favorite book would probably be the shining. Mm. Especially just, yeah, I've read that book twice now. Mm. I'll probably read it more than that. But it was, yeah. Also, yeah, because when I first read it, I saw the movie after, and I didn't realize how different they were. I, I, I haven't so, yeah. read the book, but I that's what I've been told about those yeah. sorts of things. It's like the whole, like, second half of it just is, goes in a different direction than the book does. But it literally took because for a while i was like oh i don't i don't like the movie it's not like the book i was like one of those kids growing up that would read every book before seeing sure, yeah. the movie but uh i was in Cannes for the Cannes film festival because i did an internship there uh, in 2019 and they i got to see it was like a, a, a stanley kubrick like celebration like it was either mm-hmm. an anniversary something like that but it was they were screening the shining and it was in uh, this like huge theater there and it had like full like Dolby Atmos sound and it took like that to realize oh like this is like especially being able to like be surrounded by the music and the sounds of it it's like that's what makes it this like terrifying movie because of course if you just like watch it through there's like parts where it's like yeah like yeah. doesn't seem like anything but if you're like feeling the sound then it's like yeah because that's is it Ligeti? Is that who who did the sound or some? I feel like some famous composer or they borrowed from someone uh, the soundtrack. Yeah, I I know they actually borrowed from a couple. I want to say the one piece is like a Philip Glass piece in it. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I remember seeing like a documentary about it, but it was they were saying like a lot of the music they just used. Um, things that were like already made for it. But one of the scenes it ended up, however they edited it, it lined up perfectly with one of those pieces, but it's like sort of more of like the music concrete, more mm-hmm. out there, like wild sounds like compositions more in like that genre. And it, they were like, this lines up so well. So we're, we're just going to use this. And of course it starts out with like the, like DSE array and that's the iconic one, but th- there's like a lot of, like really cool modern pieces throughout it, which like I didn't realize until I had like seen the documentary or I'm not even sure what it was. It might've been like a Snapchat video that talked about it. <laughs> but yeah. Did I, when, as you were explaining it, I was realizing that the Ligeti is actually with uh, 2001. Yeah. <laughs> so, which is again, it's like, it's because that's one where same thing, like, like there's so much that's, that's uh, like the, the Johann Strauss, stuff mm-hmm. and the, or the uh Richard strauss and then there's like ligety like shows up and you're like whoa yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that movie's wild <laughs> yeah, it is. 
I one what I was going to say about um, about The Shining is that part of what I, I what would be super awesome to see that in a large theater is that is yeah. the, like to feel everyone's collective dread because some of those takes are so long that you're just mm-hmm. waiting for the bad thing to happen, but you, they take so long to get to that it like yeah gets you even more ramped up basically. Yeah, we were in like the back of the theater because it was like um we were with like the american pavilion so they would have like a group of like students that were all doing the like internship program so they had like a thing reserved for us but it was like way up in the balcony it was it seemed like it was like 200 feet away from the screen Mm -hmm. but it like the i say some of the speakers must have been like right behind us because you could like feel the like vibrations of it and it was just like yeah it's what it gave me a lot more appreciation for the movie because <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is how it should be experienced. I mean, how like every movie should be experienced, but especially that one. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> All right, Bree, do you have a sports fandom? Yeah. I'm not more of like a huge sports person, mainly because like my mom is a big sports person. So like, um, I would just sort of take what like she was doing at the time. So like, she's a huge Steelers fan. And of course, like, Penn State football, yeah. but um, yeah, I never got really big. At least, never really got big into football because, and especially when I was younger, I would like try to like sleep on the couch, and then she would like scream for a touchdown, oh, and course. then I would. <laughs> I guess it would be considered a sport. My <laughs> my partner has gotten me into uh, wrestling a lot more, especially like AEW and like WWE. So, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah. And so we actually, we've been to like two shows now that, cause they do them in uh, Philadelphia. So we went two years ago and then this past year and those have been, those have been fun, but it's getting to the point where I know all like the lore now too. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot more fun to watch and it'd be like, Oh my God, he just came out. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's probably like the most like recent thing that I've been into. <laughs> that's awesome. One of the ways I've been, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause one of the ways that I've been kind of, getting myself back up on the lore is um, the art A&E channel and a couple other cable have been putting out all these long wrestling documentaries. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's been super cool. It's like, um, I mean, like for like many different famous wrestlers um, like Roddy Piper, who I've loved mm. growing up and um, the undertaker yeah. and, and uh, Mick Foley and, and, all, and you're just like, and it's fun to like, they, cause they do a lot of the storylines about what they were going through. So, so it's like kind of fun to be like, Oh, that's why this person's important or, you know, some of this stuff. So yeah, that's, I, I just yeah. super cool that you're now like, you're like, Oh, I, yes, that's, this, I remember this from like 2017 or something. Cause you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got involved. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fun. Like it's, it's, I, I don't know why. And maybe it's just, I like seeing people get slammed to the ground or something like that, but it's, it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We saw a ladder match two years ago. Oh, and that, that was that was amazing. Because then they'll also have people like come from like in the audience, and then they like everybody's like, "Wow!" Like I'm crazy. Yeah. Uh, like the pizza guy was at the one we just went to, where he just comes out and is like twirling a like pizza dough around, and then someone like knocked him out during it, and then we were like, "No, the pizza guy!" <laughs> it was it was great. It was. <laughs> oh, that's super cool. Oh my gosh, that's awesome uh where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to probably like ireland or norway mm. i want to go 
like just because it's pretty or stuff like that or yeah it's so i've been to i've actually been to a couple countries in europe i did um well france obviously. like a yeah i've been to france um i was i did like a tour in like high school that it was like a band it was ama so it was american music abroad Mm -hmm. so we got to go to like five different countries with that so i got to it was all like within like central europe though so i haven't been on the outsides of it but like yeah everything in norway is gorgeous and then like ireland i just found out recently that i'm like somewhat irish which i didn't think i was but i mean that's not really part of it (laughs) Mm -hmm, sure yeah and it's just like two places i just really like the culture of things there and i just want to like see it Mm -hmm. and go up again another question when you go back to uh if if you're still if you're like if if you go back to your hometown or you go like near it or whatever um from state college is there a place that you have to eat where you're like you're gonna go there and eat this like you're not gonna see people like i have to do this first and then like maybe i can go talk to people where's that what's that yeah, so there there's a couple. My first thing, this was more when I like first um came to college in like undergrad, but it was yeah. meatballs at Wawa. Okay. <laughs> Cuz there's no Wawa here. They only have sheets and like they're very different. Okay. <laughs> People will tell you it's not different. It is like Wawa hokies and then I don't know what it is if it, it's just like freezer meatballs or what they put in them, but they're so good. <laughs> like every time my family would like pick me up from the dorms, I'd be like, I want to get meatballs from here. Nice. And then uh, we also live across the street from Mary Mead farm. So they have really good ice cream and mm. stuff there. And even uh, recently I've been bringing my partner down with me for uh, whether for holidays or just over the summer, but we've been getting, they have like a whole market, at Mary Mead too. So they have like a, uh, it's like a Maryland crab cake, like cheese, oh, but it's just cheese with like old Bay on it, but it's so good. And like, <laughs> right? yeah. So we've gotten that way. They have like fresh pasta. They have like soup kits. So like we like anytime we visit there, even if I'm just visiting there, mm-hmm. we pick up like the same stuff so we can bring it back. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Super awesome. Okay. A couple more. <laughs> strangest funniest or most bizarre performance moment that involves you <laughs> this is another one where it's like i don't know if i can say it <laughs> my sophomore year i was playing it was like our percussion like studio recital um this one person he like asked me to play accompaniment or like he needed an accompanist for his xylophone excerpt he was playing and i told him like it was like a couple weeks before I was like, Hey, if you send this to me, I can try to learn it. If you like absolutely can't find another player, he ended up sending me the music like the night before. Oh, great. And I like, couldn't even learn it that night. Cause I was either like coming back home or like I was traveling, something was going on that night. So I had to learn it like the day of, and it, it was just not going well. So I had my friend, um, I like had like, um, I don't even know what it was at the time. I essentially just had like these like little like pills for like anxiety. If you had like a panic attack where like you like put it on your tongue and it like. Oh, soothes I, you. Yeah. I yeah. Know yep. So uh, I had my one friend, I like made him like page turn for me. Cause I was so nervous about this performance and beforehand I'd like taken one of them, but I was so anxious that I like didn't even feel the effects of it. So I ended up taking all of them that I had. It was like, 
10 or so like they were only like point like zero five like they were low but but doing all of the yeah so i didn't play well but uh i still had to play a solo after that so i think it was yeah it was blake tyson's firefish yeah yeah i don't remember any of it like people told me it was good i i literally do not remember a thing playing that piece at all but yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> well, I'm happy people thought it was good. That's, <laughs> or at least they told me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were so relaxed it couldn't have gone any better, Brie. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I think I fell asleep like right after. That. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> you finished the piece and then you just kind of slowly yeah. <laughs> and then you you are out cold under the marimba. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it was like in the audience, like afterwards. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. there a couple of really good stories. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> All right. Last question, Brie. What one piece of art, music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently? Probably most recently would be. Um, like Alvin Lucier sitting in a room. I'm, I'm sorry. So what, what I'm that? sorry. Alvin Lucier's I am sitting in a room. Is it? I, what is that? So it's a, it's a, I guess it would be a electronic piece, but it's where it was like one of his first pieces. It was done in originally done in 75. I could be wrong about that year, but essentially he took two tape recorders and recorded himself just saying exactly what he was doing. So it's like, I'm sitting in a room different than the one you are now. I'm recording the sound of my voice on this thing. And essentially he's, he played it back into the room over and over again as it kept recording. And what ended up happening was as each time it was played back and then the recording of it played back and keep going through, it would only play like the resonant frequencies of the room. So it's like, I think the one that's like on like most readily available is the ones like on YouTube, it's like 20 minutes or so, but it starts out like he's talking completely clearly. And then by the end of it, it's just like tones and like, it just, it sounds like you're like in space and it's the craziest thing. And it's wild to like, listen to the whole thing. Cause then you're trying to find like where, like you like stop to hear him. Cause you can like sort of hear what's happening. And then it just becomes all sound and it's, yeah, it's so cool. And then, because last year for the Vibraphone Festival we were doing, uh, we had each of the students in the percussion studio learn something out of the Vibraphone Century book. So all of us learned a piece. And I was actually doing a Alvin Lucier piece, but it didn't like register in my mind right away that like that's who it was. And so Leah like mentioned it during a lesson. And it was the piece was Key West. So it was the last piece he composed, or at least that like was published. And then like right like a, not even a month after that was when he passed away. So I ended up doing a whole like presentation on him. Cause it was like, the more I like learned about him, the more I could not only like understand how to play the piece, but then also just, he was just a really cool person to like listen to and like how he like thought about stuff, especially like older interviews where he would uh, like, there was one where someone asked like, Oh, is this like, does this have a particular meaning or did you do this for a certain reason? And he just gave like the most straight answer of like, I did it because that's how it had to go for the time to work or something like that. And he was just like, 
so clear with all this stuff. It was really cool. So that, and then that eventually led to, I ended up playing in DC with uh, Ian Power. He, he was one of the people who made, it was like an Alvin Lucier like tribute festival. So I got to uh, like experience a bunch of his pieces too and play in those. So that was probably like the most like impactful I've had. But yeah. <laughs> all right, Brie, we are done. Thank cool. you. Yeah, thank you. This has been so much fun. What an enormous amount of fun it was to talk to Brie at length. I look forward to hearing more of her talent on display in all of the fields and hear more about some of the wild horror movies she's enjoying. Thanks so much, Brie. Speaking of filmmaking, this week's rave is the 2022 film Corsage, starring Vicky Cripps and Florian Techmeister, among many others, and written and directed by Marie Kreutzer, now playing in a theater near you, hopefully. Vicky Cripps is the star and plays the role of Empress Elizabeth of Austria, a real person from the late 1870s, during one year of her life, when, as she was once idolized for her beauty, is having to play the role of old woman in public because she's just turned 40. In case you're wondering about where all of this is going and the tone of the film, I suggest looking at the movie poster, which is a photo of Vicki Kreps in her full Victorian-era clothing, giving everyone the finger. So, not necessarily historically accurate but it is entertaining and very well done. Before seeing the movie, I had all but assumed that corsage, that is referred to in the title, meant the extraneous flower arrangement that one wears as part of a formal outfit. But in fact, the corsage for this film refers to the bodice or corset that was part of women's clothing during the 1800s and forced women's bodies into an hourglass look which was meant to give the appearance of youth and vigor while also being very obviously painful to wear and even to try to get into. Aside from this, the corsage here is also a metaphorical one as it refers to the mostly mundane and boring life of the Empress and the ways that her life is completely controlled by outside factors and people and the way she tries to break away from it. Her encounters with the Emperor played by Techmeister, her kids, her staff, and her siblings form the bulk of the film. Director and writer Marie Kreutzer has given Cripps an incredible setting to play in, and she makes the most of it. This is Vicky's world, and we're all privy to an extraordinary performance, because you not only see her attempt to break free from tradition, but also she's mastering a number of languages and skills to do so and really plays up the comedy of many of these fraught situations. It's a wonderful work of art and well worth your time, so check out Corsage, now in theaters. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at 
PeteSperkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.